In the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 1. So here is the holy word of the invisible but true living God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which soon may, must take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made to us, he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. It is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. May God add his blessings to us, even as he promised that to those who hear the words of this prophecy will receive a blessing. Beloved, uh, perhaps you know the, the great epic poem of Homer, The Odyssey. There is a tale in that poem of Penelope. Penelope was the wife of Odysseus. King Odysseus left Ithaca to fight in the Trojan War. And uh, he was gone for like 20 years. And it looked as if Odysseus was lost at sea. Well, during those 20 years, especially near the end of that time, uh, there were 108 suitors who vied for Penelope's hand in marriage. But she resisted them all because she believed that her husband was in fact alive and that he would return to her. But eventually, she gave in. And she announced that anyone who could string Odysseus's bow and shoot an arrow through 12 axe heads could be her husband. Well, Penelope knew that only Odysseus could actually string that bow and shoot it, so she felt like she was pretty safe. But all these men came forward to attempt this feat. And one after the other, they failed in their attempts. But then a beggar with a hood over his head took the bow. And to the amazement of all, he not only strung it, but he shot an arrow through the 12 axe heads. And then, to everyone's astonishment and dismay, he threw off the hood and revealed 
that this was, in fact, none other than Odysseus, the king himself. And then he and his son proceeded to kill all the suitors, and he was reunited to his faithful wife. <laughs> so it's a great story. But nevertheless, there are other stories like that, right? You, you, you've read The Fellowship of the, the Rings, right? Uh, and there, Bilbo is sitting in, or, yeah, no, Fro, Frodo, well, whoever it is, the hobbit. <laughs> he, he's sitting in the thing, and, and he meets Strider. And who's Strider? He's the king, right? When the king dwells among us in incognito, he seems like the rest of us, but then the veil is removed. And suddenly we discover he's actually of such majestic excellence that we're overcome with awe. That's Jesus, isn't it? John chapter 1, verses 10, and, uh, 10 through 11, or 12, proclaims that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. He was in the world as God, as king, and the world didn't recognize him. Philippians chapter 2, also, you, you're familiar with these words. Although he existed in the form of God and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and be made in the likeness of men. And again, Jesus walked on the earth as the unrecognized creator, as the unrecognized king. And the world still doesn't recognize him. But the book of Revelation shows how he is, how he truly is, and who he really is. Verses 1 through 8 gives us a rich theological feast of, uh, of that, that shows us who Christ is. But remember, this book also comes to us in the midst of trials and of persecutions. And so this book seeks to give us a new and higher way of looking at Jesus, so that we can stand firm, so that we can stand united in the midst of challenges Amen. that threaten us. Amen. Again, the world does not recognize Jesus for who he is. And neither will the world recognize the church for what it is. But again, given the insights to these verses, we can overcome the temptations and the persecutions so that we can remain faithful and not fall in with the rest of the world as it comes under judgment. Well, verse 1 again tells us that this book of prophecy, this book of revelation, isn't given to the whole world. Who is this book given to? Well, God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which soon must take place. In other words, this book of Revelation isn't given to the world. It's not given to mockers and to scoffers. It's given to God's bondservants. Now, you may ask, well, what's a bondservant? And I think you'll find an answer even in our text this morning, at least in part, verse 2. John is called a bondservant in verse 2. 
But then he goes on to describe himself as the one who testified to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. I think that's a good description of a bondservant. One who testifies to the word of God and and testifies to Jesus Christ. Now that word, uh, that Greek word for testify is is the word uh, marturion. Uh, We get the word martyr from it. But when you hear of testify, witnessing, does your mind not take you to a courtroom scene? It should, because that's the context. And in fact, back in Isaiah chapter 43, God calls the world to a trial, to a courtroom. And he calls upon his bondservants to witness that he and he alone is God, even as they confirm all that he's done. Listen to verse 10 of Isaiah 43. God declared to Israel, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed and there'll be none after me. And even as we take the gospel to the ends of the world, declaring that He alone is God, that he alone is Lord. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that we are Jesus' witnesses. And so again, a bondservant is in this regard. He is one who testifies to the message of salvation in Christ. That there is but one God. And this one God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We testify not only with our words, but with our lives. But notice again, if you turn to verse 3, what it says, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things that are written in it. And I think this also gives us a very important description of what a bondservant is. You see, here we're seeing that a bondservant isn't someone who merely calls himself a Christian or or someone who calls Jesus Lord. There are many people who call themselves Christian. There are many people who say that Jesus is Lord, but they have very little regard for the scriptures, for the word of God. In fact, you, you know me, you know that I like looking at polls and that kind of stuff. Well, in May of 2022, so a little less than a, a year ago, after polling 1,000 evangelicals, Gallup polls discovered that 58% of evangelicals said, only 58% or, or 58% said that the Bible is God's word, but not everything in it should be taken literally. That's over half of evangelicals say that the Bible is not to be taken literally. It, and, and its uh, state of theology in 2022 also, Liga Nier, uh, had a similar report saying that 53% of evangelicals agreed that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contain helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Again, this is a, a majority of evangelicals saying that the Bible really is just 
helpful stories of myths. But if the Bible isn't to be taken literally and is regarded only as a helpful book of myths, why heed any of its teachings? Why obey it? But what we're seeing here in verse 3 is that the bondservant is one who takes God's word seriously. In fact, it, it mirrors what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where there Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not just simply calling Jesus Lord. It's taking his word seriously and doing the will of his Father. In verses 27, or 24 through 27 of Matthew 7, Jesus goes on to say, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Well, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And again, the point being here is that the bondservant is one who hears the Bible, who believes it to be the very word of God, and then heeds it. He believes it. That word uh, heed means to keep, to guard it, to watch over it, to persist in obedience, to observe, to pay attention to. The bondservant is one who pays attention to, observes, and persists in obedience to the word that he has received from God. He clings to that word as unto life itself. Do you remember, for instance, when uh, in John chapter 6, the crowds heard Jesus' hard words, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, huh, we've had enough of this. And they, they leave. And then Jesus turns to the 12 and he asks them a question, do you want to go too? Remember Peter's words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? That's the position of the bondservant. We don't have anywhere else. You have the words of eternal life. I can't go anywhere else. Can you confess that yourself? Again, you may not understand everything that is taught in the Bible. But you know that the scriptures can satisfy your hunger like nothing else can. The scriptures can lead you to eternal life as it points you to Jesus Christ. Only a person who clings to the word of God, who hungers and thirsts for God's word, only that person is a bondservant, a Christian. They come to the scriptures because they know that these Scriptures, these are the words of the living God, inspired by God, profitable, profitable, makes us rich. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. These words make the man of God adequate, 
equipped for every good work. Are you ignorant of God's ways? The bondservant then goes to the scriptures where he may be instructed, where he may be entrained. Are you playing with sin and unrighteousness? Are you confused and darkened in your mind? Then the servant of God goes to the scriptures to be reproved. And he submits to that. He, 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 he doesn't argue to justify his sin or his position. He doesn't try to twist the plain meaning of the words in order to appeal to ungodly philosophies or cultural norms or, or a science. No, he, he lets the word of God speak for itself and he submits to it. And he, and he, and he seeks for the, the word of God to control his beliefs, to control his affections and his actions. He doesn't sit above the word of God as a critic and as a judge. No, he submits to it. A very famous psalm is Psalm 1. And you know how that psalm, it, as it opens up the whole Psalter, how that psalm declares, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the seat of sinners or stand in, in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But he delights, he delights in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. The bond servant that's being here described in Revelation 1 is, is the one who is not a casual hearer of the scriptures. He's not one who pays a little attention to it, but rather he delights in it. He meditates on it both day and night. He is serious about the revelation that God has given to him. He considers the Bible as, as more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey, and, and the drippings of the honeycomb are the word of God to him. And again, this is a very important aspect to being a bondservant of God. Because we already heard that, that many will say that they're... Uh, They'll call Jesus Lord, but they don't have him as Lord. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, in verse 15, Jesus warned that many false prophets would come to lead many astray. And it's only the one who clings to the word, who listens to the word, who pays attention to the word, will not be led away. 2 Timothy 4.3 tells us that a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And because of that fact... If we progress through the book of Revelation in chapter 6, verse 9, chapter 20, verse 4, John tells us that there are saints who are slain, who are beheaded because of the word of God. And so you see, even here in these opening words of this book, we hear of the importance of holding to the word of God, of hearing it, reading it, meditating on it, heeding it. This is what makes a bondservant a bondservant. 
And the one who holds to the word like this, though he dies, he has victory because he has overcome the world. And so again, as this book unfolds, we'll see that this is the characteristic that attains blessings. This is the, the thing that gets the victory. This is the comfort that is offered to us by heeding the words of the scriptures. Now, Psalm 1, again, going back to that psalm, it describes the bondservant as the blessed man who delights in God's word, the blessed man who meditates on it day and night. But I hope you understand that Psalm 1 is first and ultimately a description of Jesus Christ. Indeed, Jesus really is the blessed man. And we don't have time this morning to, to look at all the, the verbal cues that connect Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together, but there are there. Psalm 2 is really a, a connection to Psalm 1, as it were. And it's the blessed man, the Psalm 1, who's enthroned as God's son to rule the nations in Psalm 2. But what we're seeing here, what we're hearing here now is that Jesus, the man of God, is the ultimate bondservant who truly loves God's word. Remember, Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, was encounter, uh, he, uh, Satan came to tempt him. And Satan kept throwing God's word. And how did Jesus answer it? By the word of God. The word of God says. The word of God says. The scripture says. He loved the word. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said this, I do nothing for my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Amen. And so going back to Philippians chapter 2, it said that though Jesus was in the form of God, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man and being in appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. If there's anything that characterized Jesus' life was his love for the word and his obedience to the word of God, even through suffering. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says a very amazing thing. Although he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Again, pointing to the fact that, that he was obedient to God's word. He, he heeded God's word. And so like that story of Odysseus, we see that Jesus, the great and mighty, this glorious king, took on the form of a bondservant, and he humbled himself by obeying God, even going all the way to the horrible, gory death of the cross. And in his earthly ministry, Jesus did not look like a king. In fact, Isaiah, as he looked upon Jesus, said that he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to. He didn't look like a king. Jesus did not come into this world looking like a king. He was the king of the universe. And yet Jesus said the foxes have holes in the ground, the birds, have air, uh, have, uh, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
He had no great palace, no regal clothing, no entourage to peel his grapes, no maids or servants to draw his bath. He owned nothing. And as this bondservant, he said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The great king of the universe was a bondservant. In fact, do you remember that scene when Jesus stood before Pilate? Uh, I don't know if, if people always catch the irony in, in, in that, you know, but, but Pilate asked him the question, are you the king of the Jews? And remember, that the Jews wanted to have Jesus killed for insurrection. And so they told Pilate that he was a king. And so you can imagine what Pilate imagined when he finally saw Jesus. Right? Pilate was used to kings. He, he knew kings. And he knew how kings dressed in, 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 in fine linen and purple. They knew how kings held themselves with a, a sense of an air of self-importance. Even fake kings who try to play the part would do this. But here, this man comes. He doesn't have any purple. He doesn't have any fine linen. He doesn't stand there with some kind of haughty defiance. What? You? A king? Really? <laughs> that's, that's what Pilate was saying. But Jesus is the king. And what does he say to Pilate? You say correctly that I'm a king. But then he goes on to say, my kingdom is not of this world. I, I'm a king of a different sort. I'm a king of a different kind of world, you see. And as king, I came to give my life a ransom for men. You see, the king was a bondservant who served God, who served his people by bearing their sins, by bearing all their failings and their sorrows. He bore the curse to the cross where he died for them. And without his death, no human being could ever enter heaven. No human being could ever have fellowship with God because their sin utterly ruined them. Now again, Jesus did not look like a king by human earthly standards. But he was the great and majestic king who, unbeknownst to everyone else, was actually destroying mankind's greatest as he broke the power of death and broke the power of Satan's rule over men. This bondservant broke the bands of death and stormed out to the grave in glory. He looked weak, he looked helpless, but now he is the Lord of glory. But here's another evidence that Jesus is king, and it's found in the fact that he calls us his bondservants. Now, it's an interesting thing that when Jesus walked on the earth as God's bondservant, his disciples or his followers were called disciples. But now, after his ascension into heaven, these are called bondservants. Not until he died on the cross and rose from the dead were any of his followers called bondservants. But now that he's ascended... Now that he's on the throne of heaven, now that all power and authority is his, we are his bondservants. 
And that was a very, uh, just a very precious term that Paul, for instance, used of himself. He often called himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And he pointed to Epaphras, uh, uh, Tychicus, and Timothy as bondservants. Peter, James, John, Jude, all called themselves bondservants. And here again in Revelation, we who heed God's word are called bondservants. And we are called as bondservants because, again, he purchased us with his blood. We saw that in our text today. That he has delivered us by his blood. Later on in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, the heavenly chorus will praise Jesus saying, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, with his own precious lifeblood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, Paul exhorts us to live in the fact that you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. So now you are, Paul says, Christ's slave. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 18, he again says, Having been set free from sin, you are now slaves to righteousness. Again, Jesus bought us with his blood. And he set us free by his blood from slavery. The slavery of sin, slavery of death, the slavery of unrighteousness. And he bought us. We belong to him. He purchased us. Now, when we think that we are his bondservants, oftentimes we think of our duty to him to, to remain faithful to his word, to remember that we don't belong to ourselves, that we belong to him, and therefore we're to live in a certain kind of fashion, in a certain kind of way, and all that is true. But the great important thing of, of being called his bondservants here is that because he bought us, we are precious treasures to him. We are his precious treasure. And that means that he will support us, that he will protect us, that no one can take us from his hands. That's the message of Revelation. Again, before his victory on the cross and over the grave, he gathered disciples to himself. But now that he's ascended, he has bondservants. I think this is a very interesting and important point because, again, while on earth, Jesus was humble, right? He was lowly. He was without outward majesty or regal comeliness. But now look at him. <laughs> Revelation 5, Warren 5 says that he is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Verse 6, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And verse 8, he is Alpha and Omega, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. You see the progress from humility and suffering to glory and great honor indeed. That's part of the message of this book of Revelation. And this is the message that he gives to you, O Christian, Christ's bondservants. You must also go from humility and suffering 
and to glory and honor. As his bondservants, as those who have been purchased by his blood, as those who have been set free from sin and the power of the devil. Again, what is your role? Well, verse 6 tells you that he made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Christ died on the cross, and he accomplished this, this tremendously wonderful salvation for us. And as a result of his exaltation, we are brought into his kingdom, not to be mere slaves. But here's the interesting thing. As his bond slaves, we are kings. And we share in his priestly office because of our union with his death and resurrection. Moreover, if being a bondservant means holding on to his word, to testify of Jesus Christ, to speak of all that we see and know, then there is a very real sense in which the bondservant enters into also the, the office of prophet. So you see, we're kings, we're priests, we're prophets. In fact, you know, um, Amos chapter 3 verse 7 declares, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. And with that, look at verse 1 again. God says that he's showing us these things which soon must take place. What is God doing? He's revealing his secret counsel to you, his prophets. God has taken his servants into his high court to reveal his secrets to them. That comes out also in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, where there's decried that it's now time to reward your bondservants, the prophets. The whole purpose of why Christ humbled himself, taking on the form of a bondservant himself, the whole purpose of all his suffering and his dying was for this very thing, that you and I and all God's people would serve God by entering into this holy office of prophet, priest, and king so that we would reflect Jesus Christ in his holiness. Now, my friends, we're coming to an end of this. But isn't this a comforting message to you? Again, Jesus' majestic kingly glory is manifested in the fact that he has now purchased all kinds of people with his blood. And he has taken those who were slaves of sin, enslaved to the fear of death, and he has set them free in order to serve God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 reminds us that neither fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. And that fulfills what Psalm 68 envisions of Christ were there in verse 18. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Because of his great mercy, we are now his slaves. We love to do the will of God from the heart. Not as men-pleasers, 
but from sincerity. And he dwells among us. Now, unfortunately, we don't always look like priests, do we? We don't feel like kings and we don't act like prophets. Well, maybe we need to repent of that. But while he ministered as a bondservant, Jesus didn't look much like a priest, prophet, or king either, even though he was. His glory was not publicly publicly revealed on earth, but it is in heaven. And that, my friends, O Christian, is where your glory will be revealed also. And here the book of Revelation calls you to exercise your faith and not to forget that word that was spoken to us in 1 John chapter 3. It says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet appeared what we shall be like, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, the world didn't recognize Jesus and the world doesn't recognize God's grace in us. It still mocks us. It accuses us of being hypocrites. Oh, my friends, and you might want to believe that, but listen to the word of God more than you listen to the voice of the devil or the voice of the world or even your own conscience. We are Jesus's bondservants. Not because we were good, not because we were righteous and holy and deserving in ourselves. Oh, no. He bought us because we couldn't save ourselves. Again, we were sold into sin and death. But he bought us. We belong to him. So we owe him our eternal lives. Let us rejoice in this grace. That this grace that calls us into his courts where he gives to those who love him his secrets. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we have life that in him we have all things that are necessary. We thank you, O Lord, for this high calling of being a bondservant of King Jesus, that we are his bondservant, that we belong to him. And because we belong to him, he protects us. Because we belong to him, he provides for us. Because we belong to him, he will glorify us. Even as he is gloried, Oh, Father, we look forward to that day. But between now and that day, we pray that, Lord, you would make us to be faithful. Help us to cling to your word above all things, to trust in the promises that are given to us here in your word, and that we may see and know that you truly do dwell among us. We ask this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen.